Hello there and welcome on into the Direct Selling Accelerator podcast. My name is Sam Hind and you have tuned in to a fantastic episode, even if I do say so myself. I'm going to be pulling in to chat with me in this episode, the amazing Gordon Hester. And if you've never listened to an episode before, this is a great one because we're going to be talking about all things direct selling, what's coming, what's happening right now, what you should be doing in your business to get growth. Gordon Hester is an industry influencer. He's also a change management expert. He has been in the direct selling industry for over 30 years. He speaks all over the globe and has trained leaders in the industry in over 19 countries. We're so privileged to have him coming in to chat to us about what he sees happening in direct selling in the coming months and years and what's going on right now and how to take advantage of the opportunities right in front of our noses. So grab that pen and paper. I know you are going to love listening in, grabbing those golden nuggets that he drops all throughout this interview. So grab your cup of coffee, cup of tea, pen, paper, get ready, tune on in and enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome back into the Direct Selling Accelerator podcast. Today I am super excited to have with me Gordon Hester. Welcome on in, Gordon. Tim, thank you for having me. Super excited to have you and really, really excited about the conversation that we're going to be having today. But before we jump on in to talking about technology and what's happening for the industry and all of these great fun things. I want to start by talking a little bit about you because I've had the pleasure of knowing you. I think we met for maybe around about five years ago now. Would that be 2016, I think, 15 or 16? The last around. time you were in Australia, right? Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> so, Gordon, um, we've had the pleasure of having lots of chats now and, and you know, I've I've heard you speak about your your businesses and your experience in the industry. You've got over 30 years experience in the direct selling industry as an influencer, a leader, an advisor. Can you tell us a little bit more about that experience and you know how you've served this industry for all those years? Yeah, happy to. And hopefully I won't bore anybody in the story. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I started probably like a lot of your audience um, as a distributor. Um, I, I was... With uh, my first deal, I ended up going to their top position in five months. So I had a lot of success. Wow. Yep. And um, then was approached in 1987 or 88 to uh, work with a gentleman by the name of Jeff Roberti. Um, mm-hmm. Some of you might know Jeff. He's one of the top 10 income earners in the history of the industry. Um, just to give you some perspective, you know, talking his organization's probably done over 10 billion in sales, yeah, wow. over a hundred millions in commissions. So big, big operation. And uh, I ran Jeff's businesses for 25 years and we had lots of partnerships together. So I would say I cut my teeth on the field, um, building, helping people be successful in building. Um, and at the same time, worked a lot with the company he worked with, which was the Juice Plus company. So did a lot of projects with them. In 2016, I retired. Um, I, I don't ask me about retirement advice. I went back to work. <laughs> four days later. This is what retirement looks like. All right. Okay. Let's talk yeah. about that. <laughs> it's back to 70 hour work weeks. But I, I decided, I saw the industry changing in the mid to like 215, 216. And I was like, 
gosh, I need to get positioned to help the industry evolve. So I started doing some consulting primarily on modernization with companies. So going in and helping them reimage their operations or their business models, whatever that might be. About a year after I started that, um, I built my own technology company. Um, I have now over 30 network marketing companies globally that we do all kinds of things with technology. Um, also on the consulting side, I all change management. So I get hired by legacy companies to come in and help them evolve sort of modernization, but we call it change management, but also very involved in the industry in the U S you know, I'm, I would say I'm an insider with the direct selling association, um, been on the research committee for six years when they built their academic um, program where we connected to a lot of academic universities. I think it's about 252 of them now. I was the liaison, so they built a position for me to connect to that. So I teach at colleges all the time about direct selling and network marketing, which is fun. I'm on the um, the board of the DSEF, the Direct Selling Education Foundation, was on the government relations board. So I And I often speak and write for the industry. So I would say today, I'm very much uh, an influencer and a leader of change to ensure that this industry continues to evolve, uh, which it needs to, honestly. It's, it's everything's always in a state of evolution. And as you know, today, uh, change is everywhere and you've got to be pretty nimble and agile to stay competitive in the marketplace. So definitely position in the middle of it all. <laughs> well, it, no, all of that, and there, there's so much in that and so many directions I think I could go, but, um, you know, there's no one better positioned to talk to us about the industry from a, a, especially a technology point of view. And I think, as you've mentioned, we're always evolving, but I feel like we've evolved. Um, th- th- that sped up in the last couple of years. We've been pushed into an environment that a lot of people many ways weren't ready for, but um, I, I'm sensing this feeling that people are sort of going, oh, great, I've done all that change. Now I can sort of get comfortable again. And I, I kind of want to shake that up a little bit today, but I, I also want to hear from you. I mean, originally, let's just go back a little step. Yep. What drew you to this industry? I mean, we know that this is a very female-orientated industry. Um, we, you know, it's, uh, uh, what, over 90% females. I know it's dependent a little bit between party plan and network marketing, and we're speaking to people in, in both here. But what drew you to this industry in the first place? And, and why have you stayed with it for so many years? Yeah, I um, I think what really drew me to it was back when I first got introduced to the industry, I was an accountant. I worked for one of the big eight firms, and that was my degree. And I feel like I had always had an aspiration to have my own business yeah. and to kind of build my own life. And I met Jeff Roberti, who I mentioned earlier. Um, he, I, he was friends with my roommate and pulled up in a I think it was a 450 SL red and 20 some years old. And, <laughs> and that I was, was like, you're a man. You saw the car and he went, oh my God, I'm starstruck. <laughs> and I was like, what, what in the world do you do? And uh, that's what got me involved. Um, I wanted to have ownership of my life. Yeah. I really didn't see myself working for somebody my whole career. And this was an, an easy way to start. I had a mentor. It didn't cost much. It wasn't a lot of risk. Mm. Um, I could actually build it part-time. So there, there was a lot of advantages. And then over the years, um, I think what changes everything to me is about impact. 
Yeah. And, and that's what I fell in love with. Um, as much as you can hear both sides of network marketing, I saw so many people's lives change that I became very focused on helping things change, helping people grow. Mm-hmm. Um, did so much coaching with literally million dollar earners all over the world to help them be successful because I knew ultimately if they were successful, it would help more people. Yeah. And that's kind of what's kept me in it. And, and if anything today, the need for the industry to evolve is so great. Mm. I'm more excited. Like my purpose behind what I do is stronger now than it's ever been, even though I don't have to work, which is a nice place to be. (laughs) Well, it means you get to pick and choose and do the things that really matter to you, doesn't it? So, and we we were having a little chat about that before. Um, Gordon, the last time we spoke, I thought, you know, you're super busy with business, but then you told me a little bit about your extracurricular activities. And I had to have a bit of a laugh that you certainly do like to keep life interesting with your, you've got jujitsu, you've got a great interest in tennis. You've got lots of other things going on on the side as well. Yeah, it's, uh, I live an interesting life. I I always joke with my wife. I'm a bit of an experience chaser. And I think that's (laughs) what I love about businesses. One of my mentors said, business is nothing more than the pursuit of a higher quality problem to solve. That's kind of how I look at life. Like, what's the next thing I can tackle to make a difference? And yeah, and that's kind of how I operate. And yeah, the sports stuff, oh my gosh, that was just fun. Learn to be a competitor. And then that's really helped me as an entrepreneur for sure. And are you, are you still sport involved on the side as well? Or have you sort of put that off to the side for a little bit? I, uh, I would say that uh, I'm not a person that would talk well about balance. <laughs> I, I work a lot. Um, I still like doing sports. Um, if you've been an athlete, a competitive athlete, as you get older, you have a lot of injuries, you just don't perform the way you do. And sometimes yeah. that's the hard part to just <laughs> have fun with something that you weren't as good at as you once were. I do have to say that's a real challenge, you know, for, for a, you know, speaking a, a competitive person to a competitive person, as you start to get a little bit older and you notice that number one, you don't bounce every time. Um, and, and number two, you can't do everything that you used to be able to do without breaking. It's actually really frustrating because you think, ah, if only I'd got in when I was a little younger and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and really you just, just that, that, that feeling of, Hey, you know what? <laughs> I should have, yeah. could have. <laughs> I, I think most athletes at some point, their mindset shifts from performance to prevention. <laughs> and everything is different when that shift happens. So like, I still go to the gym. I still go play tennis occasionally, but I'm not like, okay, what tournament I going in next? And how much did my bench go up? Like, you just think differently about it. And it's great. I got through another week without breaking. Yeah. That's it. I survived. I'm ready to go for another day. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Now you were talking about the need for the industry to evolve. I want to come back to that. And I really want to um, speak into that for a little bit. Can you tell us, you know, you said that never before has there been a greater need for the industry to evolve. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. If you look at the history of the industry in particular, what I call the opportunity-centric era that really goes back to the early 70s. Um, That's the industry that was created that we know today. Very much built around marketing the opportunity, marketing hope about what's possible. Um, Compensation plans were built that way. All all the, the language and narratives around it were built that way. And I think it's played a big part in the reputation challenge we have as an industry because at the end of the day, um, the, the way we did things sort of over-promised and under-delivered with yeah. people's hopes and dreams. 
And this isn't a formula to build a good business. So I started becoming a big proponent of more of a customer-centric approach, which is leading with the product, understanding that at the end of the day, every commission that's paid to the field exists because somebody's buying a product. So why don't we just focus on that? And that's the shift that's going on. And the companies that are doing that well are doing really, really well. Yeah. And um, and some of the older opportunity companies that are not evolving are the ones that are struggling. And, and that's kind of the interesting kind of parallel today. It's a tale of two cities. I, I know companies that have records every month and others that are declining and have been for years. Yeah. And, and that's why it's important to really pay attention to the need to evolve because I think in the world we live in today, you either evolve or you die. And network marketing and direct selling isn't unique in that it won't operate that way. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's definitely moved to the customer side of things. And, and with that, very much of a different focus. Um, you know, the distributor is no longer considered the main customer. It's really end consumers that they're looking for. Yep. And then the other big part of that is Today, it's a social commerce business. So if you see companies doing well, it's just not a customer focus, but they know how to sell yep. in, and also build culture um, in the social and digital space. So I always call it the digital movement, the merger. I was going to bring that up. I saw yeah. you use that word and I was like, I love this. We're going to talk about this. Uh, yeah, let's talk about digital, which is yeah. a word that you, you've, you've mentioned a little. Yeah, if you think about it, a large percentage of customers and business opportunity people or just regular people live online. Mm. And because of that, that's where you have to be able to show up yeah. and not just show up to sell, but to build relationships, to expand your warm market, to build culture, to support relationships. Like all this becomes a bigger and bigger part of what is necessary to succeed. And I would say our industry have, has been a little bit of late adopters to the social media yeah. uh, and social commerce world, um, but we're, we're moving quickly in that direction, um, not only with the younger generation that's a growing part of our business, mm. but more important with tools and platforms. And yeah. you see how people are onboarding and how new people are treated and what's being taught today. And it's just so different than what it was five years ago with technology playing a huge part in that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, like we know, and you've spoken about tools and platforms and the importance of technology, but that with that also comes um, problems as well. And I want to chat with you a little bit about that. You know, you as companies are evolving in this space, what are some of the the areas or the, the problematic spaces that you see people going into or, or some of those pitfalls when it comes to, you know, embracing technology and, and utilizing all these tools and platforms as they evolve? Yeah, I think it. a lot of it is generational. So if you look in the US, I, I don't have the figures in front of me, but I think mm. the average age of a distributor in the US is 46.3 years. So yep. my generation, what grew up, without internet, you know, that was something that happened when I got out of college or when I got out of high school, Yeah, we didn't have mobile phones. We didn't have social media. So um, the generation that really changed all this was the Gen Y. They were the first fully internet mobile generation. So they came in with different skill sets and yeah. they built different ways. And as they've grown, the older generation who was always could mentor that now can't mentor it. They have to learn from it. Yeah. So it's, it's an interesting challenge when you have older leaders who 
probably haven't built in a long time. So they might not know how to build in the marketplace today. Or if you were to say, okay, you need to build an audience in Instagram. Some of them don't even know what Instagram are, let alone how to build an audience in it. (laughs) So it's important for that generation to learn enough to be able to help Mm. um, or learn enough to recruit those people and to get out of their way, which sometimes is a better alternative. Mm. You know, we're seeing over here, um, one of the biggest groups we're seeing is the Gen Z. So we're seeing even a younger group coming in now. Yeah. And, you know, they they know that world inside and out. So it's, it's required the industry to figure out how to do that when you have a really major shift in demographics going on yep. that is requiring um, all that to move a little faster. Yeah, so like we were speaking about the generations and, you know, we've, we've had a few um, conversations about this in podcasts in recent times um, but, and, and you, it's a really good point that you bring up that, you know, a lot of those people that are really experienced with the relationship building that have, you know, become leaders over the years that have been in the industry for decades in many cases, um, it's a really good point that they're now bringing in and recruiting people that they're having trouble mentoring because, you know, they're in a completely different space. And that's definitely a way I hadn't thought about it before. So it's a really great thing to consider. And I like that concept of just recruit them and get out of their way. But there is a, a another side to that, which is, you know, we're also dealing with, and I don't want to go too much down the rabbit hole today, but a lot of compliance in the industry and making sure that we're very, very careful about what we put out there. And, and the thing that we've got to remember, of course, and you might be able to speak into this, is that social media, the second you put something out there, it's out there forever. You, you can't take it away. Yep. And I would say, so I'm 34 years in the industry and I've never seen as much regulatory uncertainty yep. um, and regulatory scrutiny. So mm-hmm. today, um, social media is a place where they look for violations yeah, um, because that's where so much of the communication goes on. Of course, like you said, it's all documented, so it's not hard to, to follow. I can literally get software as a company, web crawler software that can tell me where it exists. I don't care where it is on the internet. So um, you have to recognize that most of the violations these days likely go on in social. So you have to be careful uh, about compliance and teaching compliance um, which is always challenging because some of it doesn't make any sense at all. Mm. Like if you think about claims, so the biggest claim you got to watch out for are earnings claim. And yeah. the general rule about that is if you are telling a story, even if it's a true story and it doesn't represent what the average person does, then you're supposed to give them income disclosures. And yeah. this is hard for distributors when you're like, no, you can't tell your story because it's too unique. Yeah. And um, I think I mentioned to you when um, we were talking earlier, I, I met with one of the um, FTC chair pe- persons uh, a couple of years back. And the example she gave was moms on a mission mm-hmm. and basically said, if you're a mom and you're putting out there, I can work at home because of my success and the average mom can't do that, then they consider that a violation. Yeah, it's amazing. So, yeah, it's, it's a little crazy um, to try to manage all that. But today, it's, it's interesting because the software helps people find it. Today, there's software that you check it before it goes out. So it doesn't even go into the marketplace. Yeah, I can. Anyway. So it's more preventative in nature. Yep. But yeah, the regulatory environment is pretty tough and yep. getting tougher. Um, I think in the coming months and years, you're going to see more disclosure requirements. 
Yeah. Um, you're certainly going to see um, more oversight. Um, and because of that, companies have to educate their field and, and be willing to do what's necessary to protect the company. And, and as you can imagine, the sales and marketing compliance, they can be like this at times because compliance is risk management. They're like, here's all the rules. And sales and marketing is like, wait a minute, we can't even do the business. <laughs> and, and it's trying to find the happy medium between yeah. the two. Yeah. And and that can be extreme, you know, coming from, we used to do a lot of consulting to marketing divisions in uh, network marketing and, and direct selling companies. And, you know, that, that was absolutely a big issue to have to navigate, making sure that things were compliant. And of course, that was around the time that companies were bringing compliance um, teams in as well to, to monitor all of this. But the problem is, and it's not just marketing teams, where, and we're speaking to distributors here mostly today on the podcast. So those people that are out there, they're selling the product or they're selling the business, they're thinking, well, how does this affect me? The thing is that the companies, um, what's really unique about this industry is you're not employing staff. You've got um, a team of volunteers, essentially, um, that are working with your business. And you can give them training, but they've got to choose to take that learning on and apply it in their own business the way they want. So, Gordon, what could you recommend to distributors right now to, you know, what do they do with this? What does this mean for them when it, you know, as, and th- these compliance issues are just are only going to get tougher and tougher as times go on. So we can't just stick our head in the sand about it. But what does that mean for distributors and what do they need to look out for and what can they do in this to continue growing their business? Well, I think the companies have a responsibility to help teach the field because they don't live in that world. So they don't know. And when you start telling them, you can't tell your story if it isn't like everybody else's, it doesn't Mm. even make any sense to them. So I think there's a big educational part of it. And companies are very, you have companies that require compliance courses before you can become a distributor. So compliance training has become a very normal thing. Mm. But the other part of it is any distributor, I would tell you, make sure you follow the guidance of the company. Absolutely. Because they're going to be required to take action so that if a regulator would show up, they can say, look, there's, we enforce what we have. It's just not writing on a sheet of paper. So it's important to align with the company, to follow the rules. Uh, I would say some are more flexible than the others. Um, And you just got to find the right home for you. But compliance is only going to grow. And and I think if you sort of ignore it, it might be hard to find a home anywhere at some point in time. Yeah. I think the really important thing, and this is a great opportunity to share this with people, you and I get to work a lot with the companies when it comes to compliance. We know that it's a really big deal for the corporate head offices as they're, you know, trying to um, monitor all of this. They're trying to follow the rules because they know that at the end of the day, if they don't or one person breaches those rules, it can affect it for everybody. And that's where um, it's really important for everyone listening to this to understand that, you know, those rules are not set there to be difficult, but they're there to protect everybody, not just the company, but, you know, all of the other people that are also just like you trying to grow a business. Because when these regulations are breached, um, companies often don't have a choice um, and it, it does create a, a really big problem for everyone. So, you know, a little little call out from my end is, is absolutely, like Gordon said, make sure that you are following those rules and, and just understand that there is a, a much bigger reason potentially than what it appears to be on the outside. Um, yeah. I mean, if you look at the consequences of this um, for a company, I said, mm. I'm on the company side, they can lose the company. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and everybody loses. 
they can go after um, particular distributors that are doing this and bring them into a legal matter with the regulatory authorities. They can lock down assets of leaders, of company CEOs and owners. So mm. the risk is pretty big for non-compliance. Yeah. And um, now, in all fairness, and <laughs> I hope I don't regret saying this, every company is in violation. Yeah. Um, because there's no way you can control all of it. And w- the FTC, which is the U.S. operation, gives guidelines, but they're not directly, here's what you do. So there's always a gray area. So I think you just have to have the mindset as a company to manage that risk, mm. but not to a point where it kills the company, mm. um, whether you don't manage it or you overmanage it. So I, I think there's just um, an art to how that all goes about, and it varies by company. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing to keep in mind too, you know, you've got um, the the governing bodies, of course, you know, in Australia, we've got the TGA um, that are monitoring all of this. But something else to remember as well is that social media itself has got its own guidelines and they're also monitoring a lot of this stuff that goes on because they're also trying to protect their own platforms. And we talk about this a little bit, but we do see um, often Uh, Facebook pages and groups getting shut down for breaching those rules. And uh, I saw a really interesting post went up from a leader in a network marketing company just last night who um, had their page shut down because they were blatantly breaching rules when it came to the way that they were growing their business on social media using their personal profile. So they were using their personal profile uh, solely for business growth purposes, which breaches Facebook's rules when it comes to, to MLM. And uh, this person put a post up saying, you know, I lost my page and had to rebuild my business from scratch. And they they were encouraging and motivating people to, you know, when, when things go wrong, rebuild brick by brick. But what was really interesting about it was that they were rebuilding in exactly the same way that they built in the first place and, and doing all the wrong things again. Um, and I thought this is the sort of thing that we've got to be really careful of because, um, when you are in a leadership position, you are showing other people, your people are trusting you uh, with the knowledge that you're imparting. So you've got to be really careful that that knowledge that you're giving, that information, that wisdom um, is following those rules and is guiding people in the right direction because you don't want people to be penalised in that way either. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, a number of years ago, probably I don't know, five or six years ago, I was asked by a company to look into a model that one of their leaders was using in a country. Mm. Yeah. And it was being taught by an industry trainer and it was absolutely a spam program. Mm. So they were teaching outside of the guidelines. It was Facebook. And when I looked into it, I actually have uh, a friend that I work with at Wake Forest on their advisory committee, their entrepreneur program. That's the head of global strategy at Facebook. So reached out and said, hey, is this a violation? Absolutely. And to your point, Facebook would just shut them down. Yeah. But I told the company, you don't want to get behind this because ultimately you're going to be held accountable. Yeah. And it turned out that that's exactly what happened. Um, The regulatory body got involved because of how they were building in social. Um, The the leaders, they had to terminate the leaders. They ended up Mm -hmm. with a massive over a million dollar fine. And ultimately, it was simply because of they were violating the rules within social media. Yeah. And so you have to be respectful, of, especially cold market prospecting. That seems to be um, the big issue. If you go about that 
the wrong way, um, there are a lot of rules to protect. Facebook isn't about business. It's a personal connection thing. So they're, yeah. If anything, I think they're getting more protective. Absolutely, yeah. Yep. Yep, no, and we're seeing that every day. We're, we're seeing Facebook, uh, and particularly this is an industry that they do crack down on because, of course, the way that things have been done. It's not... You know, we all know the the reputation that this industry has, you know, although it's an incredible industry and Gordon, you and I are, you know, exclusively in this space for that reason because we love what it does, but it also does have that uh, reputation that it, you know, building cold audiences has traditionally, whether it's in person or online, has been done at times in ways that would potentially be considered inappropriate and, and that's where we've got to be a little bit mindful because we want to really change that reputation for the industry. I know um, that's something that you're really passionate about, something we're really passionate about as well. It um, is. And, and I think when you're a distributor, um, there's lots of trainers on social media. It seems like everybody's teaching social media these days. I think you got to be really careful on who you listen to and what they're mm-hmm. teaching, because yeah. a lot of these problems that I see are being taught by trainers in the industry. Um, and Ultimately, for them, it's you know it's a business. They're trying to make money, and I get all that. So the more people they train, the more money they make. But to me, as a trainer, and I've done that pretty much my whole career, I have a responsibility to train people the right way. Yeah, yeah. And I think when you're in that space like you are, you have to know the guidelines, and you have to take a hard look at if you're doing something, um, even with the best intentions to help somebody, that actually is going to hurt them because of what you're teaching them. But it almost is always cold market, <laughs> cold market prospecting yeah. that gets people. But today, the people that are successful are really successful at building personal brands and building audiences around them. It, yeah. It's kind of very different. And although Facebook is still the number one platform, Instagram seems to be where I see a lot of leaders having results. Yeah. That's yeah, and that's a really good point. Moving into that personal branding side of things and and where the industry is going when it comes to technology and social media. One of the other conversations you and I had was, you know, particularly when you see, um, you know, leaders stepping up and teaching other people. Um, and and I want to talk about the the a, a word here that and I haven't. Um, chatted with you about this in advance. I don't know what your opinion on this is going to be, but we see a lot of leaders teaching specific methods. Here's my method. Um, This is the way I do things and I want everyone to follow my exact method. And I was having a conversation with someone the other day and they brought up the word duplication. And they said to me that um, I can only do things um, with my team that are duplicatable because um, everyone needs to be able to do it in exactly the same way. What uh, I've got my own set of opinions on this, but what's your opinion about um, this method of duplication and growing a business based around duplication and, you know, ex- exact modeling off one another? I, I'm a big believer in systems and processes. Um, yep. And I think that's the critical aspect to build those effectively so that you can duplicate your efforts. Yes. I, it's much easier to duplicate through tools than it is training. Yes. However, personalization is part of the magic of social media. Mm. And if you teach things that are too uniform, and a good example is people that use scripts. And Mm. you get 10,000 people using a script and it all shows up in Facebook and and it just has a diminishing impact, in my opinion. So I I think that systems matter. Um, Mm. But ultimately, if I'm a personal brand, I want to follow the principles of being successful in being a personal brand, but 
my personal brand isn't going to be your personal brand. So why would I try to duplicate what you're doing? Yeah. I can have a totally different interest, a different movement around my brand, a different theme. So I, I think you have to consider all that in before you just blindly follow um, as if the person that's teaching, you're going to be just like them because the likelihood is you're not. Yeah. Yeah. And that's such a good point. And I really want to go down this road and talk about the personal branding side of things. Cause I know this is a really big thing for a lot of people out there. They're like, how do I build that personal brand? But um, uh, it's got to the point now where I'm hearing people saying things like, I'm not going to teach people to do a Facebook live because it's not duplicatable and not everyone is comfortable doing a live. So I'm just, I'm just going to give everyone the post to post. They're all going to post the same thing. There'll be a schedule. Here is exactly how you go about doing it. And we end up building what um, you referred to as, you know, essentially robots, which means, mm-hmm. you know, that personality, that personal brand isn't shining through at all. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's important to teach the mechanics of social media Yeah, um, because they're foundational to everything. So if you're going to be doing Facebook lives, I think having a training for that is really important. Mm. I just, I have found as a educator for 30 plus years that it's very difficult for people to take training and turn it into action, especially mm. new people. So the systems keep things simple. The tools thing keep things simple. But even them, they have their own audience. They have their own brand. And it's really interesting that there isn't more being taught about personal branding when that's so foundational to the people that are really successful. Um, they didn't try to be somebody else. They learned how to build their brand with the organizing principles around personal branding. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Can we elaborate a little bit on some of those principles around building your own personal brand and and how people should, you know, go about doing that? How do they put that personality out there? Yeah. So I I think it, so I got into this in a really odd way. I had a lady come up to me at a conference, an entrepreneurial conference and said, "Uh, I would like my daughter to come meet with you. I'll fly her into Sarasota, Florida, where I live. And she was in high school. And I'm thinking, oh, okay. So she's probably running a lemonade stand or something and, you know, old school thinking. And it, and it turned out she was making about $53,000 in income a month at high school. Wow. And she had built um, seven brands in Instagram. So she yeah. was an influencer, an Instagram marketer, and she had a whole business model around it. But that's when I really kind of dug into it. So I think it all starts with creation of a brand, of a personal brand. Mm-hmm. So how are you going to stand out in the marketplace? How are you going to help people? What values do you profess? Um, where are you going to show up? How are you going to show up? Where's your audience? All these things mm. are important when you create a brand. So a whole bunch of stuff we could talk about with that aspect of it, but that's step one. You got to create a brand. And the reality is everybody already has a brand. We already have influence over certain people. It's just when you do it in social media, you can expand that influence. So if you have that figured out, then the next thing you want to do is create visibility. You don't want to be the world's best kept secret. So a lot of what's taught is that game. How do I build visibility around my brand primarily in social media? So how do I build a big following in Facebook or in Instagram or wherever it might be? Mm. From there, um, and there's so many strategies around that, then you create what I call influence. And influence today is a form of capital. It, it, it is economically a good thing to have. Now, that influence that you have 
doesn't automatically become transactional where I meet somebody and I sell to somebody. There's very much of a connection process of in that influence stage. So build it, get it visible. Now that you have an audience, it's how do I communicate with this audience? And, and that's how you build the influence. And then from there, you, you will monetize some portion of that. And that becomes sort of what we call your tribe. So these, these are in network marketing, that's your organization, your team, your customer base, whatever it might be. But there's a higher gear too. And that is the ultimate thing is to be the voice for a movement or a mission. Because at that point, people want to belong to something that you're the face of. Yeah. So a perfect example to me is somebody like Gary V. Mm-hmm. You know, he is masterful at his building his brand, creating massive visibility. He stands out because he understood his brand had to differentiate itself. And he's he's like a 60-year-old guy who acts like he's 20 and it works yeah. for him. And, and then he's got whole business behind. I think Vander Media now has over 600 employees. So Big, big I think I literally just bought his latest book. I've, I've brought it in with me this morning and I had no idea you're going to mention that. So there you go. Yeah. And even, so if you look at, so I know a lot of people, you take somebody like Eric Worre, a lot of people know the GoPro movement. Mm-hmm. His whole movement was built based on what Gary V taught him, mm-hmm. which was the easiest way to build an audience is to connect to somebody that has one. So he started doing interviews and with big leaders Yep. Jeff was one of them. So I was at the forefront of that. And then Jeff shares it. And all of a sudden, that's his audience. And that's kind of the unique part of social media. You don't lose people because people attach to multiple things. So today, I think if you're in social media, you have to ask yourself, why you? Like if I'm looking to buy a product yep. and I have all these places, why would I buy from you? Yeah, And that's the differentiation piece of it. And really figuring out also where is your audience? So like my audience for my technology and my consulting is in LinkedIn. It's a B2B platform. I wouldn't even know what to do in Instagram with that brand because it's very content driven. Uh, There's a lot of educational components with it. So I think you to figure out where your audience, for most people, that's going to be um, Facebook in our yeah. world. And uh, I know that's your expertise. I, I venture to say you probably forgot more about it than I know. So um but it's still the popular place to be. And yeah. so I think you got to look at your personal brand and, and just say, how do I get a bigger audience? Mm-hmm. How do I keep that audience? And don't think sell to everybody. Think connection. And connection is just three words to me, trust, care, and help. So yeah. if I can build a relationship where somebody knows they can trust me, that I care, and that I have a way to help them, then the monetization part becomes easy. It's when you skip that. Then you start to look kind of like a scammer. And these are the people that are doing cold market prospecting wrong. Yep. You know, it, it is ultimately a relationship game. And yep. you've got to really focus on the connection part of it. And if you look at people that are good, this is innate to them. They're just yep. really good at, at connecting to people. Yeah, I love that, Gordon. And from that, you know, there are a couple of things that really stood out for me, but the um the being intentional um with your personal brand. So not not just you know, being everywhere and doing everything. And, and definitely, you know, that cold selling is something that I think most people feel really uncomfortable about. There's like this assumption that this is what I need to do. And I think it'll be a big relief for a lot of people listening to this to go, oh, good. Okay. So I don't have to be going out there and cold prospecting people I've never met before. 
Um, you use the word tribe. We at Oxano, we call it, um, you know, speaking to your tribe. And we specifically talk about dating your tribe. So mm-hmm. once you've attracted them through being yourself and putting that personal brand out there and drawing in the right people, which is your tribe, of course, every one of you has got, you know, a different tribe, then you from there dating them. Um, you know, in warming them up, getting to know them, letting them get to know you and and building your business that way. And, and as you said, you know, you watch those leaders out there, those people that have, not just the people that have been in the business for six months and got to a leadership position. We're talking the people who have been around for a long time, their leaders, have a look what they're doing. Um, and I think you'll see exactly what Gordon was just saying there. They're attracting people in because they've built a personal brand that people are drawn to. They don't cold prospect and, and you know, pounce on people um, that they've never met. They've got people that are attracted to who they are because they're showing up with their personality. I think that's really powerful. So It yeah. is. And I think that the basic principle to that is that our industry, the highest paid activity is always being recruiting. Yeah, I don't think it's about recruiting. I think it's about attraction. And mm. if you know how to build an attractive brand in social media, and you know how to communicate with those mm. people because you don't have somebody join and it's like, oh, what can I buy today? It usually doesn't work that way. Mm. There's a, a dating process in all this. Yeah. And the people that are good at it, you know, they might have somebody that's with them for years and all of a sudden it's like, gosh, now I'm ready to do something. So you have to kind of look at it in that context. Yeah, absolutely. And to keep in mind as well, you know, you may draw people in uh, through product, but um the, the the recruiting eventually takes care of itself in that they want to be a part of that culture. You mentioned culture before and culture is a really important part, of course, of any company, but you also have your own culture within your team and within your brand that people are drawn to and want to be a part of. And um, yeah, I think that's a really important thing to be really intentional about. And that evolves too, doesn't it, Gordon? It does. It's not just, it hey, you know, this is what I do and that's it. You don't sit there and draw it on a piece of paper and in 10 years, it'll be the same thing. Yeah, it's interesting because network marketing is unique in that we're a brand within a brand. So yep. if I'm a distributor, the comp- I'm a company, part of the company brand. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to do anything to be misaligned with their brand, but I can have my own. So I might, for instance, be a personal brand that talks about travel and and then I attract people that want to travel and I share that. And then all of a sudden in a conversation, it's like, yeah, my business allows me to do that. And oh, what business are you in? So it, it's a different game today than it was in the past. Yeah. And so it's definitely all about attraction. And it all, in my opinion, the majority occurs in social media these days. Yep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it's an obviously a much easier way for us to reach more people, but we do, as as you've said before, have to be very careful about how we go about doing that because that's the point everyone can see it um, and it doesn't go away. So, and, and, and on that point, I would say this, it, it's not just about being careful on the compliance side. You can destroy your brand mm. by going about this the wrong way. And when your brand's destroyed, then you're back at starting at ground zero. If you're lucky, you might be in a hole that you can't recover from. Yeah. So I think to me, I always protected my brand like it was my child. I was never willing to do anything to put it at risk. And so I needed people to trust my brand and see value and how I could add value to their life. And I think when you approach things with that mindset, things become a little bit easier and work better. 
Yeah, absolutely. Now, I just want to, one other thing I want to quickly um, touch on just as we sort of wrap up, because I feel like, you know, so many cans we could open here, yeah, <laughs> dive into those definitely. worms, Gordon. Um, but one of the things I'm seeing a lot, and you may be seeing this as well, is you you speak about systems. So I'm seeing a lot of direct selling companies globally now implementing um, systems and tools to help people um, systemize their social media content. Um, so, you know, whether it is, hey, we're giving you all of the posts or we're giving you scheduling platforms that just plonk it all out there, whether it is um, systems that arrange people's parties for them, they literally just, you know, schedule out an entire system of posts over the course of a week. The thing that I'm noticing with this is it is creating a whole bunch of people that are doing exactly the same thing. You know, what? how, do you, how are you noticing um, this sort of technology being rolled out with companies? So I think today, if I, so a good, a common system that I'm working on, in fact, I worked on one today is an onboarding, a new onboarding system, whether it's for distributors or our customers. So if you look at where does the company play a role in that, that's where the technology piece comes into play. And so you were to take just a simple example, if I'm a customer and today I buy a product, as a company, I can recognize that because it occurs within my data set and I can automate a response to them said, Hey, thanks for buying this product. And by the way, your product will be here in 10 days and here's your tracker. And here's how you take the product. And three days later, I could send a story about somebody that took it. So today companies are getting involved in mapping out processes and using Mm. technology to make things simple. And the way I always look at it is the ultimate system is the one that anybody can do, where I, I just don't have to learn something and figure out how to do it. I just have to plug into the system. And that's where technology plays a big part in things. But to your point, you got to be careful with what that looks like if everybody's doing the same thing. Yeah. Um, so it's it's there's a balancing act to all that. But I, I would say if you look at direct selling in general um, with any established company, Probably 90% of all their sales, customer acquisition, and recruiting comes from what we call micro-entrepreneurs, newer people in the business. Mm. They're not seasoned entrepreneurs. They generally don't have the mindset of an entrepreneur, work ethic, but the desire of what an entrepreneur gets. So because of that, those are the people you build the simple systems for. They're the ones you have to kind of remember complexity is the enemy of execution. So I can't have complexity in anything. And that's sometimes where training gets you in trouble. You you can teach great principles and people are yeah. like, I don't know what to do with that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And but yeah, I think you got to be careful, especially with scripts and things of that nature, where it just becomes uh the same for everybody. Yeah. And look, I think it gives people an excuse not to incorporate their own personality into it. It's almost as though I don't need to, it doesn't feel necessarily comfortable to, it's easier to, um, to systemize everything and do it the way I'm told rather than being myself. Cause that, that, that takes a bit more thinking. So, you know, one, one of those, I guess the reason I bring that up is we're seeing a lot of companies bringing these tools into play. People are just hitting the button and scheduling stuff out and they're not bringing that personality in. And uh, some of these tools are amazing. And I look at it and think this is fantastic. But, you know, the one thing that makes this industry so powerful, as you've, you know, said a couple of times today, is that personal brand and that relationship building and bringing that in as well is so important. 
you got to be careful with tools and platforms because if you think about these new people, the more you require them to learn something, the more they'll be like, well, this is just too much work. I don't want to do this. So if you start saying, okay, well, you've got to go into Sprout Social to use that for all your scheduling of posts, they're going to be like, what is that? I don't want to have to learn this platform to do things. So yeah, yeah I think the, the value of tools is to keep things simple. And if yeah. they're not simple, or you're requiring too much, people just won't do them. You know, it's really interesting when you first start a business and, and like you, you know, I started my journey in direct selling. You do the simplest things first because that's all you know how to do. And uh, it's really funny, you know, you ever notice that when, as you grow and you learn and you evolve, sometimes the things that you're doing have become, you, you're working so much harder to get the same result. And if you look back on what's changed, you realize I've actually forgotten how to do the simple. I've forgotten, mm-hmm. you know, I've gone so complex. I've missed the really important, really easy thing right in front of me, which is, it might be as simple as pick the phone up, <laughs> have yeah. a coffee with somebody and have a chat about the business. You know, that's so much quicker and so much easier than using all of this technology we've got in front of us. But we tend to think that that's what's necessary to grow. And I see this every day. Um, I've been that person where you build things, they become complex. And then when you look at them, it's like, how do I get this back to being simple? Yeah. Because <laughs> if you think about the core of it all, Mm. There are timeless fundamentals in this business, getting mm. a customer, keeping a customer, getting a distributor, keeping a distributor, building yeah. a personal brand, expanding, you know, all these things are fundamentals. It's just practicing them in a relevant way. Yeah. Yeah. And that's to me, the key to simplicity is how do I create the simplest way to get a customer? Mm. And, and I'm hundred percent on board that that personalization is important to making that work. Yeah. Uh, especially in the social space. Yeah. Do you know, I had a really funny phone conversation yesterday. I had a, a leader who's, you know, got a, hundreds and hundreds in her team here in Australia in a party plan business rang me and she said, Sam, I really need some help. We're running parties at the moment. Um, and uh, I want you to jump into the party that I'm running. I want you to tell me why they're not working. Um, she said, you know, I've done this for years. I, you know, I know exactly what I'm doing. You know, we're teaching it to other people. It's been successful in the past, but for whatever reason, people aren't buying at the moment. It's not working. And I want to know if you've got any ideas on what's going on. I jumped into this party and I had a look, Gordon, and the whole thing was run by all of these systems, technologies, flows. Um, And she rang me back again. She said, all right, have you got any thoughts? And I went, yep. (laughs) You know how you used to run a a party in someone's living room? She went, yeah, 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 yeah. I've been there, done that years ago. Yep. And, you know, that always worked really well. I said, great. What's different about what you're doing now? And she said, this, this, you know, we've got all this amazing technology. We're doing all these things. And I said, guess what? (laughs) That's the problem. You've gone so technical. You've lost the personality. You didn't tell a single story. You didn't go in live once. You didn't show up. Why not just go back to the absolute basics? Use your technology, but show up and build the relationship. Just do a live. Connect with people. Chat with people. She jumped in and did that um, that last night and um, I watched this go down and the response was like night and day. Everyone jumped in, they interacted, she made a ton of sales. She's like, I can't believe how overcomplicated I made things. Yeah, it's it's an interesting kind of um, situation in that technology sometimes takes away the fun of the business mm. and the personal interaction and like we've done studies at the DSA and fun is one of the main reasons people join the industry. Yeah. So you can become so robotic that nothing is fun anymore. 
And, and sometimes the fun matters more than the systems because that's yeah. how people connect. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's, it's a good observation to make for somebody like that, that, yeah, don't, don't lose your personality and the things, the magic of connection in personal, especially today when people don't want to go to live events anymore. Everybody mm-hmm. seems to be still very virtual um, yeah. and probably going to stay that way. Um, and so it's, it's going to be a very different way of building in the future. Yeah. Even with the party plan companies, you know, today it's like, how do we do a virtual party? And and how do you make that fun and exciting for people? So yeah, different world. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's a really great note for us to to wrap up on. I want to go to our fun questions really quickly. Uh, Really keen to hear what you've got to say about these ones. So uh, just before we finish up, Gordon, your favorite book for our accelerator book list. Gosh, I'm a big reader, so lots of books. But I would say my favorite one is um, Fulfillment by Dr. Martin Seligman. Uh, he is the father of positive psychology. Yep. Um, I'm one of those people who believes the point of life is to enjoy it and happiness matters. And it's sort of the research behind happiness mm-hmm. and the five principles of what makes somebody happy. And it had a profound impact on how I run my life. And wow. okay. it's an amazing read. And he's a professor at Wharton, brilliant guy. And um, one of the smartest people I've ever met. Uh, so that that would be the book I would recommend. But depends what you want to learn. There's so many great books out there. Oh, look, we've had some amazing ones thrown our way, and we're we're actually in the middle of because um, we we ask this question whenever we have a guest on the podcast. We're in the middle of compiling all these amazing books into a big list, and uh, that, it's a long list. So uh, yeah, if anyone needs a reading list, we'll have that out very soon. If it's not out by the time this podcast episode comes up. But we'll pop that one on there. So thank you for that. Well, and what, one thing with that, the other one I would suggest that was a yeah, game changer right. for me is called The Power of Full Engagement by Dr. Jim Lure. It is the science of high achievement. It goes back to, and basically this changed how I operate my life because he said fulfill our achievement is tied to four energy cycles, physical, spiritual, emotional, and mental. And I never realized that. And I'm, I'm a grinder mentally. And all of a sudden you're like, I'm burned out. So it really changed my perspective on things. That would be the other really good one that I would yeah. recommend. All right. I'm going to look that one up. That sounds like a read I need to check out as well. Uh, all right. So superpower, Gordon, if you could have any superpower, what would that be and why? Hmm. I would say the superpower would be able to identify and solve problems. Uh, I feel like... <laughs> Um, I feel like you already do that. that. That's already your superpower. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I could get better at it. At least I I think, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a hard question um, because I don't really think in that context, but I feel at the end of the day, I'm a problem solver and Mm -hmm. that's how I help people evolve. So I would, that would, I wouldn't be like captain problem solver. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. I love it. I've just got a picture of the, you know, the underpants on the outside, the whole thing. Great. <laughs> Captain. Yeah, that, that's color. a picture. I don't know. It's like, oh, not that picture. You might need to, yeah, change your uh, your Facebook profile or something like that. Change your name on there. Captain Problem Solver. I think it's good marketing, Gordon. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> um, favorite quote? Um, I would say the the quote is, happiness isn't about having problems. It's learning how to deal with your problems. So I, I think that um, happiness is, is a core function of what people want out of life. And they think 
I think a lot of people, and I was one of them with happiness, just means you don't have any problems. Yeah. Everybody has problems and it's just really learning how to deal with them to be happy. So yeah, that's one. I have so many quotes. I love. Yeah. Um, I love that one. So happiness is not the absence of problems. It's the ability to deal with them. I love that. Absolutely. Yeah. And last but not least, if you could go back in time and say one thing to your past self, what would that be? And it can't be buy shares in Zoom. <laughs> uh, yeah, would it be Facebook, Zoom, Apple back in the day? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that would be a good one. Um, yeah. Would you have bought shares in Tesla though? Oh gosh, all of them. All of them? Yeah. All right, got it. <laughs> gosh, if I could turn back the clock there, we, I'd be a multi-billionaire. And what I'd be doing with all my time and how I would be helping people. But I would say that. The life lesson that I wish I would have known earlier in my life is what you enable, you invite. Yeah. Um, Because so much of where I see chaos and pain is because people are enabling behaviors of other people that they shouldn't be enabling and not realizing by enabling it, you're just inviting more of it. Mm. And I think as I got older, I started recognizing what to enable and what not to enable. And it made a huge difference in all aspects of my life. So that probably made my big one. Yeah, that's a really good one. I love that. And a really great note to wrap up on. So look, Gordon, this is, I really feel like I could keep talking to you about all of this. There's so much um, in what we've just chatted about. We've, We've certainly gone off on a few different tangents there and we've probably left people's brains buzzing, but thank you so much uh, for taking the time out to share some of your wisdom and knowledge with all of us today. Well, thank you. And I want to congratulate you. I know that you and your team are working hard to serve our industry and helping a lot of people through your podcast and your education and the consulting work you do. So props to you. I'm I'm glad I got a chance to chat with your audience and hopefully we'll get a chance to do it again. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again, Gordon. It's been great. And I'm sure we'll connect again uh, down the track, hopefully sooner rather than later. And maybe in person, we'll have to try and get back over there and hop on a plane if they'll let us out. Let us I'll out. see you in Boca in June. <laughs> That'd be nice. Yeah, we will yeah. attempt to get there. We will be there. But uh, look, again, thank you so much for joining us. It's been great chatting today. If anyone wants to learn a little bit more about you, Gordon, or they want to reach out or connect or any of those things, is there a way that they can uh, look you up? Yeah, best place to look me up is just on LinkedIn um, and just message me there. Yeah. Um, I, um, If anybody needs to contact me by email, my email is gordon at gordonhester.com. I tend to be very responsive to people reach out. So if I can help anybody, please reach out to me. Awesome. Thanks so much, Gordon. We'll pop all of that in the show notes along with, of course, your book recommendations uh, and some other bits and pieces you've mentioned along the way. But again, thank you so much for your time. It's been fantastic chatting. Thanks to all of our beautiful listeners as well for tuning in again today. And we'll see you again on the podcast next week. Bye for now. Thanks, Sam. Bye. If you love this video and you would love more help to improve your direct selling business on social media, then click on the link to join our Facebook group. I look forward to seeing you in there.